0: the Bible talks about hope, it means confident assurance, not wishful speculation, not perhaps this will take place, not maybe all things being considered, this is going to work out. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a confident assurance.
1: Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author Dr. Crawford Loritz. Ever find yourself thinking, I hope I have hope? Well, that's not the confident assurance Crawford was talking about there. What would it mean to you to be able to say that you have a confident hope? Let's explore that here on Living a Legacy. Today, Crawford begins a three-part series titled More Than We Expected, and it talks about the peace, hope, and love we can have through Jesus. It's why he came to earth and why we celebrate his wondrous gift at Christmas time. Please stay with us. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years and recently retired as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. The messages we feature each week come from his 15 years at Fellowship. Crawford has authored a number of books, and among them, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and Leadership as an Identity. Now, in retirement, Crawford heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. Well, let's head to our text for today, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Romans chapter 5. Crawford's message is titled, The Gift of Hope. Here he is on living a legacy.
0: One of the great ironies about Christianity, it, it, it is a particular dilemma here in the West uh, we talk about Jesus a lot, particularly this time of the year, and and you can get rather pedantic. We talk so much about him and about Christmas and the, and the, you know, the manger and the stories and all of that and, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, all these things we talk about. Uh, paradoxically, one of the problems when you talk about him so much is that you can get a little pedestrian in terms of your relationship and what those words mean. And so we need to back up a little bit as we contemplate this time of the year and what does it represent? Today I'm gonna to talk about the gift of hope and next week I'm gonna talk about the gift of joy. And the following week i want gonna talk about the gift of love. And all of them are far more than we typically comprehend or we typically think about the gift, the gift of hope. When I say hope, I'm not talking about help. There's a the difference between hope and help. You know, you can get help and still be hopeless. Somebody can help you with something, and you still are sagging, and you still are defeatist, and you still are down. Someone can give you great advice and great insight and tell you what you need to do to get out of this situation or how you need to move forward or uh, who you need to call or some insights into your dilemma, and you can still be hopeless. So there's a difference between hope and help. And when Jesus came, he came to give us hope, not just help. He did give us help, but a help that's not based upon hope is to stay in your predicament. He gave us hope. The greatest gift that we can give to anyone is hope. Think about it. It's the greatest gift we can give to anyone is hope. Now again, I, I need to distinguish between um, a wishful speculation and biblical hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about wishful speculation. A lot of us, I mean, when we say hope, it's just wishful speculation, all things being considered, if this works out, my experiences tell me this, and here's the pattern of these things, and more than likely, this will take place. That's still wishful speculation. Any plans that we make concerning the future that's not lodged and anchored in the truth of God's word and Christ himself is wishful speculation because we don't control outcomes and we're not talking necessarily about that. When the Bible talks about hope, it means confident assurance not wishful speculation, not perhaps this will take place, not maybe all things being considered, this is going to work out, but when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a confident assurance. And I wanna read these incredible five verses from Romans chapter five, verses one through five. Here the apostle Paul is talking about what Jesus gave us when he came and accomplished what God sent him to do. Listen to these words. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in, here's the word, hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, here's the word again, hope. And the word again, hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And you'll notice three times, three times in these five verses, he says hope. Hope is the home page, if you will, or the foundation, or I would even say the delivery package in which all that God has done for us comes. It is hope. It is a confident assurance. It is certainty. It is the end of our dilemmas. It is to eradicate our speculation. It is the answer to answer the great question of life. Why am I here? Where am I going? All of those things are found in what our Lord and Savior did. Let me just back up a little bit. Even from a non-biblical perspective, people who have hope, uh, they have a tendency to have a mindset and a strategy for success, don't they? And that's just from an outside perspective, just looking at life. Now, in this text, God through Christ has given us hope. He's given us hope. He's given us a confident assurance. And the question is, and I just want to walk through this, what does this hope do for us? Well, I'm going to say three things. Number one, in verses one and two, we learned that this hope makes us right. It makes us right. But I'm going to point this out it makes us right legally, I'll explain that in a second, and it makes us right relationally. What do you mean by that? Well, he uses four words, actually three words in one term here in these verses. The first word is a legal term that he uses, and the next three words are relational expressions that he uses. The first thing that hope does is that it makes us right Legally. Notice the line, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Circle the word justified. What does justified mean? Well, it's a legal term. It literally means to be declared right, to be declared righteous. Now, the word justification is associated with the concept reconciliation, to have adjusted to a standard. That's what's happened. And the moment we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we were reconciled to a right standard we didn't do it god did it in other words are great words like in first john chapter two that that big word uh that he is the propitiation for our sins what in the world does that mean that jesus was a satisfaction for our sins from our point of view god had a dilemma god has no dilemmas but from our point of view he had, had a dilemma here he has this perfect standard you and i are not perfect on our best day we're not perfect Here he has his perfect standard. His perfect standard is righteousness. His perfect standard is holiness. His perfect standard is is purity. And we violated that standard. We disobeyed God. Well, how in the world is he going to solve this problem? He cannot diminish his standards. He cannot cannot let it down. Uh, Grace does not wink mean wink wink not. Grace does not mean okay, I don't see that. No, that's not grace. He can't do that. So what did he do? He solved his own problem by sending his own son, who was perfect, who died on the cross in our place and for our sin. And in that one act, what he did was he, 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 he made the books right. So that when we come to Christ and we give our hearts and lives to him through faith, we are reconciled, we are declared righteous, what I love about this is that, so that's legally we've been made right, but what I love about this is that we've also been relationally made right. You know, you can take care of somebody's problem and still be estranged from them, can't you? Oh, was just for the sake of argument. You know, your teenage son uh, is driving, he had a party, had too many brewskis, and you've had problems with this boy along those lines before. Well, homeboy gets picked up and he's locked up, and you get the infamous phone call. And you go down there, you're just spitting mad. I've told this boy a number of times, you know, yeah, this is fine. you get down there and you, you bail him out, but you ain't a happy camper. I can't believe you did this. What language do you understand? What, what do you mean you didn't know this? What do you mean you just had two beers? What is this all about? I'm going to tell you. And you, yeah, okay, come on, I don't want you in jail. But see, that's not God's attitude. God doesn't just come and save us and say, okay, all right, what a jerk. I warn you about that, Crawford. Okay, come on, all right, get out of here. Don't drown, but look, leave me alone. Now, we, he, he doesn't make us right just legally. He makes us right relationally. It's not just that he declares us righteous and he, you know, and he says, okay, you're all right. You ain't going to hell, but you ain't being around me either. <laughs> That's not what he says. Some of us do that. But we're also, we're also made right relationally. He says, in addition to this, therefore being justified by faith, we have, listen to this, peace with God. In other words, the offense has been taken care of. God says, I'm not mad at you. You got peace with me. The issue's been taken care of. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been taken care of. I not only love you, I like you. It's been settled. Why are you beating yourself up? You're in the house, you're here. And you've been declared righteous, meaning I will treat you as if you never did that. You have peace, peace with God. Now, I'm going to say something that might disturb some people here, but it is a reality. The truth of the matter is, some might be thinking right now, well, yeah, I mean, if I was a bad actor and I cussed at God, raised my fist in the face of God, and said all kinds of damnable, awful things, and did all this other kind of stuff, and you know, was hateful and uh, demeaning of God, then of course he, he would dislike me. No matter how kind and nice and gentle and wonderful and pleasant you are to be around, the truth of the matter is if we do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that's not a neutral position. The Bible teaches that anyone who is not a follower is not living in a passive relationship But anyone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ is an enemy of God. Down in verse 10 of Romans 5, it says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. So the point is this, and Jesus said it himself over in John chapter three, verse 18, I'm gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks, but so John three eighteen says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already. Why, why? Because he's raised his fist, fist in the face of God? No, because he cussed at God? No, because he was, you know, just relatively speaking a bad person? No, the reason why, the text says, is because he has not believed. And the state of disbelief is a state of hostility. But Jesus has torn that apart to be declared, declared righteous and, and to have peace with God means that, 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 that the whole issue has been taken care of by the death of Christ on the cross. You trusted Christ. God says eternally, there's no issue between you and me. Another relational term is that uh, legally we've been declared righteous and uh, so based upon that uh, he says okay relationally you have peace with God number two relationally we have access that's what he says here we have uh, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand the word access access really is a word that was used to refer to entrance to the king through the favor of another. The access that he's talking about is access to God's amazing, lavish grace. The moment we say yes to Jesus Christ, it's not just that we're forgiven. He says, everything that belongs to me is now yours. Everything that my son has now belongs to you. You stand in that grace. And then the marvelous third relational term is that we have a sure future. Verse 2 says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Remember I said that when the Bible uses expression hope, it means certainty. You can almost just take the word out hope and put certainty there. We rejoice in the certainty of the glory of God. In other words, I think the argument is pretty clear here. It's as if Paul says, you mean to tell me that God would go to all the trouble to declare us righteous, to give us access, to give us peace with him. And then say, hey, wait a minute, you're not going to be with me. Now we rejoice in the hope of the glory. This is a reference of being in his presence forever. It is a gift of eternal life. That's what 1 John chapter 5 says, verse 11 says, and this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have, that you may know that you have, that you may know that you have eternal life. And as he says, we rejoice in the confidence that we're going to be in his very presence. You follow the time sequence in these two verses. What do you mean by that? Well, excuse me, peace with God takes care of our past. Access to God takes care of the present and hope of the glory of God takes care of the future. Do you understand what he's saying here? That you are, you're, you're with me. What more does he have to say for us to embrace our security? Well, this hope makes us right. This hope also gives us an enduring faith. What I love about this text is, you know, when you read this passage, at first thought you go, eh, you're talking about being declared righteous and having peace with God and having access and... The glorious hope, why are you talking about suffering here? I think the reason why Paul is talking about suffering is that look, look, look. What you go through cannot rattle or shake what's been given to you. What you go through and whatever you face in this life, if you are in Christ, cannot rattle or shake what belongs to you. And so he goes through this process. He says this hope is not fragile. It's not brittle. It's secure. So he says in verses three and four, Hmm, it's amazing. Not only that, not only that, not just the future, not just being with Jesus, for those of you who think Christianity is so categorically irrelevant. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We, we rejoice in it. Because the hope that is firmed up in our hearts and in our minds, we go through this stuff. We experience this stuff. What does it do? It strengthens us. It it helps us. It produces this hope. By the way, the word suffering here Some translations uh, use the word uh, tribulation. I believe the New American Standard Version uses the word tribulation there. You know the word tribulation actually comes from a Latin word, tribulum. It was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it and was used for threshing grain. And what they would do is that they would take the tribulum and drag it through or, or draw it over the grain, separating the wheat from the chaff. The unnecessary stuff. So here he's saying your suffering has a point to it. It has a point to it. For God is taking away all of the temporary stuff and all of the stuff that doesn't matter in our lives, all the superficial stuff. When the heat is turned up, it shows what's inside of us. Now you attach it to context here. This hope, this hope, the same God. The same God that's made you right legally. The same God that's made you right relationally. The same God that has a future for you. All right, so when covid you got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Your heart might be broken. The tears might be coming down your cheeks. But i got to tell you something, that if you believe in that God, he's going to see you through, and you're going to be stronger. And I don't normally like these expressions because they're cliches, but there's some truth to the line that what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. So that's the reason why we rejoice. You see, this hope is not fragile. (laughs) Not thin. We rejoice in suffering. And by the way, this hope also teaches us that trials do not work against us. They work for us. We don't like them, but they work for us so the outcome is once again a stable hope god has seen us through and made us better what does this hope produce well it makes us right gives us an enduring faith but thirdly the presence of this hope paul says in verse 5 is the affirmation of god's love he says and hope does not put us to shame. Always define things in their context when you're doing Bible study. He's just finished talking about the resiliency of this hope, right? It's not fragile. So therefore, because it's not brittle, not fragile, it doesn't put us to shame. I think it's the, ob- it's, the meaning is obvious. It means, in other words, this hope doesn't disappoint us because of an unfulfilled promise. Now, I, I, can, I will disappoint you. I don't intend to. Integrity is a big thing. But I've long since come to the conclusion I am so very human. But here he says, This hope does not disappoint. <laughs> don't you believe that lie that you're not loved through a follow of Jesus? This is an amazing text. It is not just a positional hope, but a confidence that is warm. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes into our hearts, in our lives, and he nurtures the relationship through the context of affirming love. Anyone who's come to make us right, removing the penalty and guilt of sin and taking it on to himself, and then providing us access to all that he is, declaring peace with God, giving us an eternal future, and then promising to use the suffering and trials of life that we all go through as means to develop us. And then says, oh, by the way, I will empower you by my spirit and affirm my love to you every single day. Why wouldn't we say yes?
1: The Gift of Hope, the title of today's message by Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. It's the first message in his series called More Than We Expected. Next week we'll look at the gift of joy as we continue in this Christmas theme. If you missed out on part of today's program, you can hear it all on our website, livingalegacy.org. Living a Legacy, that's all one word, livingalegacy.org. Look for the Past Programs link. Our weekly teaching programs are also available to download for free. Look for the mp3 link on the website. Thank you so much for your emails. We heard from Randy, who lives in Nebraska. He says, I found the recent programs on the life of David very fascinating. Studying David's life provides a mirror for Christians to observe their own sinful life and reflect upon the repentance needed in their own spiritual redemption. Crawford taught this valuable life lesson very well, and it has been very educational. Blessings to living a legacy. That's so great to hear. Thank you very much, Randy. And we hope you'll take a moment to let us know how God uses Crawford's teaching in your life. Our email address is legacy Moody.edu. Great to have you along today. For Dr. Crawford Loretz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.